This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual. Episode number 42, Julie Chu. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting coaches and parents who help our children succeed on and off the field. Each episode, our host, Jim Thompson, Executive Director of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by some of the most influential players and coaches to share their thoughts and experiences with responsible coaching and responsible sports parenting. In this episode, Tina Sire, Chief Impact Officer of Positive Coaching Alliance, steps in for Jim and talks with Olympic medalist and world champion, Julie Chu. I think the great thing is exactly what you said is having the versatility of being able to play in different positions. It's, it's great because it allows you to, to take on different roles. It allows you to play different, um, different, in different aspects of the game depending on what your team might need on a given day or within a given season. Julie shares her personal story of becoming the great hockey player she is today along with how she feels about being the first Asian-American woman to play for the U.S. Olympic ice hockey team. She also provides insight on how to be an effective captain, the importance of being a versatile player, and what is in store for her future. Julie, I want to start off by introducing you to our responsible sports audience. Julie Chu has played ice hockey in three Olympics, coming away with two silver medals and one bronze. She's also a four-time world champion. Julie played her college hockey at Harvard, where she graduated with honors in psychology and was named a four-time All-American. By the time she ended her college career, she was the NCAA all-time leading scorer and the all-time leader in assists. She won the Patty Kazmaier Award in 2007 for Best Female Collegiate Hockey Player. After graduating, Julie took on the role of assistant coach for the University of Minnesota Duluth women's ice hockey team where she helped them win the NCAA National Championship that year. She has also coached at Union College in New York. Julie has played professional hockey for the Minnesota Whitecaps and the Montreal Stars, earning two Clarkson Cups. Julie, thanks so much for joining the Responsible Sports audience and me today. Well, it's great to be here, Tina. Julie, I've, uh, I've read that before you specialized in ice hockey, you actually played soccer and tried a little bit of figure skating. And I'm curious if you can tell us the story of how you came to realize that ice hockey um, was really going to be your lifelong passion and your lifelong sport. For sure. I, I grew up in Connecticut, and soccer was probably the primary sport for girls at the time. Uh, rec soccer was very big, so when I was in kindergarten, my family signed up you know, everyone in our family for rec soccer and uh, just played with the other girls in my elementary school. So always something I was uh, enjoyed doing, and I played soccer all the way through high school. Um, but then when I first um, was introduced to skating, actually, was when I was eight years old, and that was really just by chance. And what I mean by that is my older brother, Richard, actually came home from school and asked my parents if he could play hockey one day. And my parents... Um, didn't know a whole lot about hockey, about skating at all, but we're always so supportive of us trying different things. And so they went to the local rink, signed my brother up for hockey, and my older sister and myself up for figure skating. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, that was probably the stereotypical way of putting girls and boys into different categories. And my parents didn't mean to do that, but at the same time, uh, that's what was available um, readily. So um, we kind of strapped on the figure skate, my sister and, my, um, and myself, and I skated for maybe about two months, and during those two months, I, I was pretty terrible, I have to admit. <laughs> and my my eyes always kind of wandered 
um, to the other end of the ice where the boys were playing hockey and they were just having so much fun playing a team sport and um, playing soccer, which is a team sport as well. That always resonated with me a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And so after two months, I asked my parents if I can switch to hockey. And again, so fortunate that they're so supportive of us pursuing whatever we might be interested in. And they walked me into a local pro shop and I said, okay, let's shoot her up in some old stinky equipment and see how she likes it. Um, so at eight years old, hockey kind of found me is what I like to say. And I'm really, really fortunate to have great experiences from a young age and all the way through to now. And I think that's the big reason why I continue to play is because I love what I do. And I'm surrounded by some incredible people that I, I'm very fortunate to know um, and, and get to work with. So that's it's great. It sounds like your parents were really supportive of you trying hockey from the very beginning. And I'm I'm curious if you can tell us a little bit more about how they were involved as sports parents, I guess, in your older brother and sister's lives and in your lives, how they, um, you know, how they took part in your sports experience and were supportive. Yeah, yeah, my my parents are kind of, I guess, my biggest fans. And I'm so fortunate for that. So when we were younger with three kids, uh, we were all kind of in the same hockey program at the Bridgeport Wonderland of Ice in Connecticut. So it was literally, we're, we're spread out by each one age group. So my brother would play, and then my sister would play a game, and then I'd play a game. So we knew we'd be at the rink for three to four hours in a chunk. Um, so those days were actually the easy days because my parents didn't have to be split and you know with one player, um, one child traveling and being in one location and another one somewhere else and maybe mm-hmm. a third in another place, which sometimes that did happen. Um, but oftentimes we would get a chance to be at the ring for three or four hours together as a family, um, either watching each other play or running around causing some havoc, uh, as we say rink rats often do, <laughs> young kids running around. <laughs> um, and so my parents kind of created this great environment to say, like, you know, we're going to try to do things together and be supportive of each other and um, encourage us to cheer on our my sister and my brother whenever we had the opportunity and vice versa. Um, and so they were kind of big fans, always driving us to practices, um, coming to our games whenever possible. Um, my, my dad did travel a decent amount, but when he was back on in, on some of the weekends, he was for sure, regardless of how tired he might be or how hectic his life was, he found time to, to come out and watch our games. Um, so, again, just having them there as a presence and being positive and, you know, after games, a lot of times they, sometimes they'd give us a little bit of the hockey talk, but most of the time it was just a big hug and, um, you know, like, good job and, okay, where are we going to have uh, our post-game meal or what do we have to tackle next as a family of five? Um, so I, I think I was fortunate to have my parents kind of play that role and not really play, for me at least, a very critical hockey parent role mm-hmm. um, where the, every time I stepped off the ice, they would be kind of barking instructions or trying to coach me. Right. We can still have great conversations. Um, and even nowadays, like they, they know to read me, like some games like I'll – have conversations and we'll talk about the game but uh, I think they also know kind of the boundary that I have coaches for a reason and to say safe separate as well Mm -hmm. to be supportive a little bit critical but for the most part just supportive great great and I want to ask you one more question before when you were sort of comparing ice hockey um, to you know as a team sport to figure skating or an individual sport what do you think are sort of the different lessons that athletes take away from a team sport like soccer or hockey versus an individual sport yeah for me like uh, what I love about the team sports is the need to really work with other individuals 
Mm-hmm. I think from a young age, you're you're taught to respect and to honor each other and understand that we're all very different in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, get along can get along really well. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's easier sometimes as a kid because you just run around, you've got a ton of energy, and you kind of just plug around here and there, and it doesn't matter quite as much. But then as you get older and then you get into high school and then college and you're also developing as people, figuring out who you are, going through new challenges, um, that's a time where it's sometimes it's a little bit of a roller coaster, mm-hmm. and you start to have to communicate with your teammates, not only about hockey or developing as a, an athlete, but then as people, mm-hmm. and to, to agree to disagree sometimes or to talk through situations and then come to kind of a great conclusion at the end. Mm-hmm. And I think as a coach, that's what we work a lot with our players as well, is not only on the development as an athlete, but then I think the communication lines that you need from athlete to player, but then even more importantly, players amongst themselves. Um, So I think the communication is huge. You understand how to work through diversity as well. Mm. Adversity. Um, And I think that's a big thing so that when you go into the world of of business world where in a lot of ways you might be working with other people too um, and you might go through ups and downs, you know how to handle that. It's Mm -hmm. not something foreign. Um, and I, I think that's the great thing about sport and team sport is that you can learn how to trust other people along the way and have them hopefully trust you so you can take responsibility for your actions. That's great. That's great. Um, so, so one of the things I read was that when you were growing up playing hockey, um, you often ended up playing with the boys. And I was curious, I'm sure you get asked this often, but what was that experience like um, playing with them? And then did your coaches do anything specifically to sort of handle it or make sure that you were well integrated? Um, yeah, well, when I was younger, it really, there wasn't girls hockey. I think that was the bottom line. Um, there might have been one other team at the time in Connecticut, um, and there was an older team, maybe 19 and under. So mm-hmm. when I was eight years old, you, you played with the boys, and it's the same thing with my sister. And mm-hmm. uh, you can go through an entire season and maybe run into one other girl that was playing at the time for another team in the local organization. So mm-hmm. um, that was kind of the reality of it back then. And so I was fortunate that I did have an organization in Bridgeport that was really supportive. The players on my team were great to me. Uh, my my coaches were great to me, and, and the but I guess the staff as a whole of the organization was really supportive. And I think that is so important to, to not only girls playing in a boys' environment, but any any athlete playing is having a positive environment where they can kind of enjoy what they're doing and hopefully stick stay along and play the sports. Because mm-hmm. I think when they don't enjoy it, when they feel too much pressure, when there's not a great environment, that's when, unfortunately, we see individuals start to, maybe in their early teens, decide that, Sports isn't the avenue for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I, I was always really fortunate. There wasn't a whole lot that our coaches had to say additionally or, or do additionally, um, to be honest, to make my experience great because they, they treated me in a lot of ways like a hockey player, and that's great. what I wanted. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to be babied. I didn't want to be like, oh, don't like don't practice too hard for to her or <laughs> um, isolated. I wanted to be a teammate. I wanted to, if I didn't do something right, I wanted them to be able to address me and and let me know as well so I can get better. Um, so I, I think that that helps with my development and, and the fact that my, my teammates treated me like a hockey player, but we're also probably, uh, they probably stood up for me a few times as well, um, which is always great to have teammates do that. That's great. That's great. So when you came out of high school, um, I think that's when you decided to defer a year um, before attending college. 
to prepare for the 2002 Olympics. And I'm curious if that was a tough decision or how you went about making that decision. And then once you made the decision, what was that time like, um, you know, when everybody else was sort of headed off to their freshman year and, and you were deferring? Yeah, um, it was it was definitely a, a, I would say my actually the year before was a, a little bit more of a difficult, I think, a process for me. Because during my senior year in high school, I was at Trill Rosemary Hall, and um, I was asked to train full-time with the Olympic team. So that mm-hmm. was almost like a, a full-time of training before Olympic cycle training. So it's like two years out from the Olympics. Right. Um, so at that time, it, it's not like a team's being chosen and you're going to the Olympics then. It's more so development-wise. And I remember the national team coach asked me if I could play, and my, my dad goes, um, dad goes uh, absolutely not, not. I'm sorry, you're you're not going because you have education is really important. And you're going to graduate from high school, right? And I remember that was like a sucker punch in a way. And I was like, wait, wait, Dad, like I don't understand because this is my dream. Like uh, mm-hmm. he's given me a chance to play on the national team. I've never been on the national team, and this is maybe a step to going to the Olympics in two years. And my dad kind of held firm in that conversation. And then I think throughout the next week, he had many conversations with the national team coach at the time. Mm-hmm. And they found out a way that I can have tutors up in um, Lake Placid, New York, where we were training mm-hmm. um, and to mm-hmm. finish my classes. And then when we, the season was over, I went back in the spring and had a full course load at Choate and was able to graduate. So mm-hmm. if anything, those just that year was more of a difficult time um, because I was also scheduled to be um, the student student body president of Chode at the time. I was captain oh. of a couple of teams. So by stepping down, I was not only kind of giving up those things, but also changing and affecting the roles of other people wow. that were on my teams or on the student council at the time. So mm-hmm. um, that, that was difficult. As far as deferring from Harvard, I get, of course I wanted to get to college, but it was so exciting to get a chance to go to the Olympics. I knew I was going to go to school regardless. Um, that was never a question in my mind. So I don't think deferring for a year was, was that difficult, knowing that I would be going the, the next year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, so sometimes we talk about parents too often going and talking to coaches and sort of taking their child out of that conversation. Um, so I'm curious, you know, how did you feel? Were you part of those conversations with, with your dad when you know, he was talking to the national team coach or were those happening outside of you? And how did you feel about that communication as that was going on? Yeah, I, I think that was literally one of the only times that my parents have ever talked to our, the coach. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that's kind of just kind of the rule that my, my parents had. And, and I think a good rule of thumb is that if there's any disagreements or anything that you need to voice to your coach, like you have to be an individual and you have to be able to communicate with your coach. Right. Um, I think in, in this situation, the only reason why my, my dad and, and our head coach spoke was just because my dad was so adamant that it wasn't going to work out. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like, okay, how can we get all these little pieces together and right. then put, put my father in contact with the right resources in those environments to continue making calls and seeing if it was possible. Um, so I think be, being so young at that time, um, I, I was 17 at the time, I, I needed my dad to kind of be the communicator in that, that sense because I couldn't really wrap my, my mind around, okay, how do, can I possibly make it all work? Yeah. Um, so besides that, though, like my parents – very rarely, I think, if ever, I don't even remember situation. Talk to my, talk to my coaches in regards to playing time or what mm-hmm. position or what line I should be on. Like those things, I think, if I heard that my parents had done that, I, I'd be pretty mad. Yeah. Um, because I think that as a responsibility of me as a player is to communicate with my coach to say, what can I do to be in this situation, or what would you like me to do in this role, or 
accept that, no, at the end of the game, I'm not playing because maybe my other teammates are going to be doing a better job today right. to be able to do that. And I think that's one of the things as a as a coach now at Union College, we, we say to our players at the beginning of the year, um, we kind of lay it out and say, we're not going to have conversations with your parents. Right. Um, we're going to have conversations with you. You guys are adults now, and you guys have to communicate what's what's going on and if they have concerns outside of hockey that they want to communicate with us absolutely yeah but as far as hockey related activities that's between the coaches and the players yeah so I have I have one other question about your time at Lake Placid um so you were 17 and you're training you know with the national team or with the, the pool of players where the the 2002 team will be selected were you the only high school student or were there others and then were there specific things the coaches and maybe even the captains or some of the more senior members of the team did to make you guys feel comfortable in that setting um yeah so there was actually three of us that were in high school or one had just graduated from high school um chrissy wendell and then it was myself and then the next youngest was natalie darwitz who i believe was a junior at the time Mm. So Natalie finished classes through online and through kind of um, correspondence through her high school. Mm-hmm. And then I actually went and like, had classes at night with a tutor. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the three of us were like the youngsters of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely, I think when you're in any kind of national team environment for the first time, um, you're training harder than you've ever trained. You're, you're not as good as, as you thought you used to be because in high school you were kind of the star of your team and then you mm-hmm. get into this environment and you're like the bottom of the barrel. Right. Um, so there's definitely a, a lot of kind of different things to, to kind of work through um, emotionally but then physically also trying to keep up with women that had been training and, and probably at a higher level than, than I had been when I entered. And right. what I was just so fortunate with, again, was we had some great veteran leadership. Some players that had gone to the 1998 game that had experienced what it was like to win a gold medal mm. and the dedication that we needed to put into the on-ice training as well as off-ice training in order for us to, to be able to hopefully be successful again in 2002. Right. And so those those veterans really kind of set the tone in regards to work ethic. Um, but then they were also just so welcoming. If I had questions, they were there to kind of give me give me help and guidance. Um, mm-hmm. They were just, they kind of treated me like a, as a, a great teammate and didn't really isolate me as just this youngster that, Mm. You know, was just kind of trying to take a spot, or this youngster mm-hmm. that was mm. um, that didn't really know what was going on. It was kind of like they were just as committed as bringing me along as a teammate, uh, as opposed to just a high school kid that was playing with them for the first time. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, so, so I'm curious. I've I've read that you're actually um, the very first Asian American woman to play for the U.S. Olympic ice hockey team, and you know we often talk about. Olympians and professional athletes really being role models for younger athletes. And I'm curious if, if your role model status sort of takes on a special meaning for you, um, you know, being the first Asian American woman to play hockey on our Olympic team. I, I think definitely. Um, for me, being Asian American is a huge part of who I am. Um, the Asian culture, Chinese specifically, um, is, is the background of my family. And we have a lot of traditions that um, we still uphold um, between the Chinese New Year's and different things around the holidays. Um, and so it, it's a part of who I am. The values that have been instilled in me as a young kid um, really stemmed from the, the Chinese family culture. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I also grew up in Connecticut, so very much American in a lot of ways. So I think getting the combination of both and being able to be on the ice and kind of represent both sides um, mm-hmm. and kind of open doors 
because you don't see a lot of Asians playing hockey. Mm-hmm. And so I think being able to be in the public eye as an Olympian is for me such a great honor. And then on top of it, to be able to be maybe a little bit more of kind of an eye opener, knowing that there's not as many Asian Americans playing, mm-hmm. maybe hopefully younger players or younger Asian Americans or even, you know, minorities just get that sense, okay, it's, it's not that foreign. It doesn't have to be primarily a, a white sport in a lot mm-hmm. of ways or mm-hmm. we don't have to close these doors, but we can see like, let's play hockey. I'm a girl. Let's play hockey. And at the same time, I think it's great to be able to be a role model just to be able to say that, that not only Asian Americans that maybe have more play, but maybe also just have more girls playing a sport that's predominantly in the past known as a male male sport. But right. nowadays we go to a rink and there's a lot more girls there. It's not as foreign for someone to be like, oh, girls play hockey? Like, you'll rarely hear that. You will still hear it, <laughs> which is still part of the growth process and still why it's kind of our responsibility as elite athletes and college athletes to go out and be involved in the community and, and get the word out there. But it's a lot more rare than when I was growing up as a kid. Yep, yep. Um, thank you. That's that's wonderful. I think it's really important for kids to look and sort of see a mirror, you know, um, in, in professional athletes who looks like them and um, it gives them an inspiration. So I'm, I'm really glad you're a pioneer for us. I want to ask you one more question sort of about um, the transition time where, you know, you went off to the Olympics, you played in the 2002 Olympics, and then you came back um, to Harvard and you were playing college hockey. What was that transition like after playing, you know, at that Olympic level for, for two years and then coming back to a college level? Um, just what was that return like? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was exciting. Um, and I, I think exciting in the sense that, yes, I just had this, like, the, the most elite experience I could have playing on the national team. And then now kind of switching to college hockey, there's definitely a little bit of a gap between the two. But at the same time, I think the, the Harvard team I was playing on um, for my for my four years of college was very strong. Um, mm-hmm. We had a bunch of players on the team um, that also were in the Olympics. Um, Angela Ruggiero was a U.S. Olympian. Jen Bottrell, who ended up being one of my teammates, um, was a, a uh, Canadian Olympian, mm-hmm. and then we had a bunch of national team players that had gone to national team camps. Um, so I think the environment was still really intense, really fun, mm. uh, and I got to still learn a ton. And I think the great transition was just the team atmosphere of being in college and having a team that's really so much like a family. That's and great. I know like a, that's kind of like, I guess, the catchphrase that a lot of people say, but I, I truly kind of feel like when I think back about my college experience, I think what I loved about it was just like how much fun we had as a team and it's not even I, I can't tell you what our final record was after every year right. I might remember the last game of the season because we were fortunate to go to three national championship games and then my senior year we lost in the quarterfinals so you, you remember those moments right. um, but a lot of the moments that we laugh about and we still tell stories about were on bus trips they were um, happening over you know just a team meal that we would just linger in the dining halls and just chat and suddenly we're all in giggles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, being able to transition to that environment was great. And what I liked was our head coach at the time, Katie Stone, who will actually be our 2014 Olympic coach now. Mm. Um, she came in and knowing I had been to the Olympics already, just pretty kind of set a hard line and says, you know, we don't have a whole lot of expectations for you, except that we, we want you to be a good teammate and we want you to work hard. That's mm-hmm. what we're going to expect every day. Um, and I, I thought that was great because it gave me the grounding to be like, yes, even though I've been to Olympia and I have to earn my spot on this team, mm-hmm. I'm expected to play my role and to do the best I can. 
but at the same time, they're not putting a ton of pressure on me to say, you're going to have to be the leading scorer, you're going to have to do this and that, but enjoy being a freshman where the transition can be difficult, especially those first couple months. Yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm curious, you've been an absolutely prolific forward just in terms of scoring and your assists. And have you always been a forward or do you have advice, and I guess in particular for youth players, um, about the value of learning the skills of different positions um, and not sort of classifying themselves as a defender or a goalkeeper or a forward, um, you know, from day one when they start playing? Yeah, absolutely. I actually played Every position except the goalie in hockey. Mm-hmm, <laughs> I'm not flexible mm-hmm. enough for that. Um, but, yes, I, I actually started playing uh, def- defense initially. Um, huh. And so I played D, and then I transitioned into forward um, maybe when I was 12 to 14, 15. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, if a coach asked me to play D again, I was like, okay, sure, no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, for a long time, was a defenseman, then I was a forward, and then now I kind of primarily play forward, but I'll also play D on my Montreal Stars team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think the great thing is exactly what you said, is having the versatility of being able to play in different positions. It's it's great because it allows you to, to take on different roles. It allows you to play different um, diff- in different ex- aspects of the game depending on what your team might need on a given day or within a given season. And when the thing that sometimes I, I kind of – think about what some of our players or people I've talked to and say, you know, I can only play in this one position on the right wing. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, (laughs) you understand there's only four right wings that get addressed for every game. Mm -hmm. So you're limiting yourself versus being open to trying to to develop skills to play in different positions. And so even though we're forwards, we have to know how to skate backwards as well Mm -hmm. Uh, because we might be in that situation in the game or who knows? Unfortunately, injuries happen, and maybe we have to convert someone to play a defensive position. So I'm definitely very supportive of people playing everywhere, players developing general all-around skills and getting a chance to be uncomfortable in different situations also so that hopefully with time they can develop into being comfortable in many different situations. That's great. Um so I think, you know, throughout your career, uh, you've played the role of captain um, on many teams. And I'm curious what you could share with our audience about your approach to that leadership position. And, you know, does it change whether it's sort of the captain of a high school team versus a college team versus an Olympic team? Um, but I guess specifically to sort of folks who are listening who are youth captains or high school captains, what advice would, would you have with them about that leadership role? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest thing is to also, is to find kind of your leadership style in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I'm a very vocal person. I, I talk a lot, and, and I'm comfortable doing that. And so that naturally is kind of my role. And then I think what's important for me is to be able to vocalize, okay, these are, we set this, these, uh, these goals as a team. We set these expectations or standards as a team and then not only kind of continue to vocalize and get comfortable and learning how to make sure that team teammates are, are being true to those standards that, that as a team you guys had set, but to also make sure that even more importantly as a captain, you're following through with your words. Mm-hmm. That you're you're the one that foremost is, is is upholding all those standards. Because when you can and you've you've asked others to, to work hard or you've asked others to accept their role and then you do the same thing, that has a lot more validity than if you ask those things and then when it's your time to accept a, a role that maybe you don't enjoy as much or 
um, or to push yourself a little bit harder and you end up not doing it, that kind of lowers your, your impact as a leader. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think being able to lead by example is a huge, huge part of that. And for those that are quieter leaders, that's, that's absolutely fine because I, I think those personal conversations might be a way in a smaller environment, like a one-on-one conversation might be how you are more successful in, in getting through to your teammates than necessarily within a group, big group setting. So um, just consistency, what makes what feels right for you, and then not being afraid to push it a little bit outside the, the realm of what you're comfortable in so that we're always developing, we can always be better and asking for feedback on how we can be better. Yeah. Um, I've read that you believe that sports sort of gave you self-confidence and self-awareness. And I'm curious if you can give our responsible sports parents and coaches who are listening some ideas about how they and their role can sort of reinforce these, I guess you could call them sort of like off the ice benefits, you know, so that not just learning the skills and the strategy of how to be successful on the ice, but all those other life lessons um, that, and, you know, sort of the benefits that come through sport participation. Um, What can coaches and parents do to really reinforce that with youth athletes? I think the big thing is that through a season that like players will have a point where they have a disagreement with their teammate or they go through a, a a tough situation and I think a part of it as a, a parent or a coach where you might the, the player that's going through a tough time might go and talk to a coach or a player and share okay I'm having trouble um, with Sally right now and then as a role of the, that that kind of support person that might be like okay well this is a great time for you to use your communication skills communicate talk to her have you you told her why maybe you're not you're not happy right now with the way things are going or or whatever the situation might be, and kind of reinforce, you know, it's important. You can't just say that you're not happy here or, or you have this problem, but you're not willing to talk it through with your teammate. Mm-hmm. And I think encouraging them, because I, I want to say communication to me is one of the, the areas that that if you look at a team and if there's a struggle or there's there's something going on, a lot of times the communication breakdown is huge. Mm-hmm. Because they'd rather kind of bottle it up and kind of say things on the side versus mm-hmm. talking directly with the person. So I think coaches and parents can really help with that and kind of facilitate, okay, these are the positive ways that you guys can talk versus this is a shouting match. And <laughs> and um, and the same thing is kind of true with kind of work ethic. And I think there's some big category kind of topics where as you, you're talking with your, your son or daughter or you're talking uh, with your player that you can kind of interject within there and reinforce, like, this is a great example of how you know, we can work through adversity here or or whatnot. And so I, I think those off-ice conversations, picking up on little details of, of what they might say and being able to interject some of the big topics that you guys are consistently trying to teach will help them kind of be able to relate it to real-life situations versus, yes, we have to work hard. Right. Okay, well, that's interesting. Or, yes, we have to communicate. Well, how? You know, yeah. and help them through that process. Make it really tangible and applicable. That's great. So, Julie, I want to um, sort of wrap up with one more question and just say, you know, just a tremendous congratulations to you on such a career, you know, with three Olympics. And I'm I'm sure many of our listeners are wondering um, what your plans are for 2014. Do you mind giving us a little window into the future? Yeah, no problem. Um, Well, training hard from now until uh, whenever, hopefully 2014. But um, right now the next process is, uh, I'm playing for the Montreal Stars from right now, and our season will end in March. And then uh, I'm also coaching full-time at Union College, where I also, well, I'll practice with our players as I coach. 
So it kind of gives me the opportunity to train hard as well as get games in on the weekends. Um, but the next big thing for us as a U.S. team, um, officially we have world championships in April, but then in June is our Olympic tryouts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the, the vision is hopefully making sure that I'm being as prepared as I can be and training hard and improving and still trying to push myself so that in June I can have a great tryout and hopefully make the, the uh, 2014 travel Olympic, pre-Olympic tour team and then in the end make the final roster in 2014. Um, so a lot of us are, are kind of shocked on our national team that it's come around so quickly in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but I think we're so excited for the next five, six months, especially um, when the team is starting to be a little bit more finalized, and then hopefully all goes well and I, I can have an opportunity to go to my fourth Olympics. Um, but with that said, I think one of the things I, I always try to do to, to kind of keep me grounded is to understand that I that any day in a national team jersey or any day in a national team environment is a blessing. And even though I've been there before, it's, there's no guarantees. And when I can kind of ground myself in the idea there's no guarantees that I have to work for it each day, I think that helps me to, to make sure that I'm getting better um, and also being the best teammate and an asset to the team that I can be. Well, Julie, um, thank you so much. I mean, I can tell you that all of our responsible sports audience will be uh, pulling for you and, and hoping to see you in those games. And uh, it's, I just feel like you've shared so many wonderful lessons with us. So thank you very much, and we'll be, um, we'll be pulling for you moving forward. Thank you so much, Tina. This is, this is a great thing that you're doing, and uh, really excited to be able to speak to everyone. To learn more about responsible sports, including downloading valuable tools on a mastery approach to youth sports, that includes creating a commitment to learning, visit ResponsibleSports.com. You'll find helpful responsible sport parenting and responsible coaching guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.